the key thing, I think, it's about the transferable skills that being a researcher gives you. It's not about the content. Because this is what people always say, well, how can you get a job with a PhD in medieval studies? And it's not the content of your research that is what you're, what you're selling, what you're marketing yourself as. It's those transferable skills and what challenges and problems you can solve for, for other organizations. Welcome to another episode of Academics Mean Business. Today, I have, <laughs> as I called Dr. Chris Humphrey, uh, my first academic celebrity. That's what I called him at the very beginning. And um, he, you know, kind of in, in an embarrassing way, accepted that and was like, huh, I've never been called that before. So yes, I have Dr. Chris Humphrey on today from Jobs on Toast. If you have been in the academic non-typical career path space for a while, you have to know who he is. Um, and that's why I called him the celebrity. And we talked a lot about what he studied and his transition. And, you know, 10 years later, uh, since he gave his talk when he was invited by his dissertation chair to a group of, you know, PhD students about how to actually pursue a career outside of the academy, 10 years later, just reflecting on what has been accomplished and where we're at, this podcast even existing. So it was a cool conversation to you know discuss what's going on uh, with the labor market kind of and thinking about what it means to be a PhD who might not be going for teaching or going to work at an institution. And his body of work represents you know, there was another way or there is another way. And I really enjoyed the conversation and getting into what, you know, his next kind of goals are and next steps are. And I think that's where we really get a little bit deeper um, in talking about what kind of mark and impact he wants to leave uh, on the world. So it was a great conversation. Um, oh, I, I also promised that I would add this into the intro. I asked at the very end after we had hit, you know, and on all the recordings and stuff, I asked about what Jobs on Toast meant. And he laughed and he said, it's funny, I never expected this to be something bigger than it was the international scene, but it's basically a British kind of euphemism. Um, so for anyone listening who's not British, it, you know, you're probably like me. Oh, I wonder what Jobs on Toast means. Um, I didn't really think about it too much. Um, to me, I thought of it as like an advertisement in some way, um, it, you know, over breakfast. <laughs> Maybe. But he basically told me that it has to do with, you know, the idea of spreading baked beans on toast, which is uh, culturally appropriate for where he is, um, and how it has come to mean um, an easy, simple thing to do uh, to, you know, obviously get some nutrition in the morning. It's also cheap. And so jobs on toast is kind of like jobs made easy. And I was like, oh, I got it. That makes sense. So without further ado, we have Dr. Chris Humphrey from Jobs on Toast. All right. I have the one and only Dr. Chris Humphrey of Jobs on Toast today. And I'm so excited. You're kind of my first celebrity academic guest, <laughs> which is really exciting to me. <laughs> celebrity. I'm not sure I've ever been called that. Right. Well, you are in my eyes. So that's I think that's fair enough and possibly lots of listeners. So I think that's really exciting and fun. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Well, thanks very much for inviting me on the show. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure to have you. Um, so yeah, Chris, I actually cannot wait to uh, hear your story. I tend to not do a whole bunch of spying and trying to learn like a ton of information about someone because 
I want the conversation to feel like we're hanging out, grabbing coffee and talking about the choices we've made in our life uh, around academia, around starting businesses, around work, careers, all of that. So the beginning of your story has to do with some studies. So I'd love to hear about what you studied. Um, If you want to tap into what you researched, go for it. What lit you up as a kid when it came to learning and education? Just give us that academic background. Yeah, sure. My first degree was in English. Hmm. Um, I guess I was sort of puzzled when I was at um, at school about exactly what I wanted to do. And I kind of toyed with the sciences, um, geography as well, I was very interested in. But I guess I was always interested in, uh, I love reading and writing mm. uh, and ultimately plumped uh, for an English degree, English studies. Um, so I did a bachelor's degree in that and got really fascinated, really, I guess, by uh, critical and cultural theory, mm-hmm. um, but especially also history and uh, UK history. So I decided to carry on with my studies and I did a master's degree okay. uh, in, in culture and social change, nice. it was called, um, which is was a kind of like a wrapper, really, a, allowing me to sort of dabble, dabble and take a range of different sort of modules to really sort of, I guess, more diagnostic. What am I really interested in? What I really want to mm-hmm. pursue? Because I had an idea at that point that I wanted to go on and, and do some more research. Yeah, and it really sort of clarified for me that um, the Middle Ages was what I really wanted to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially this whole question around medieval popular culture, because I think people might be familiar with a kind of kings and queens view of history in English. English history, but I was very interested in social history, cultural history, um, and it's a sort of untold story, really, of of popular culture and also popular politics. Mm. Um, So that sort of kind of clarified for me that that's what I wanted to do. And if I was able to obtain funding, then I'd go on to do a PhD in that. And that's actually what turned out to be. Mm. Cool. So, So you're in the academy, you're doing the thing, you're doing the research. At what point where you kind of like, I don't know if I want to stay here or did you go into this? I mean, going into a PhD in history, it's pretty limited with what you can do with that, or at least typically what we're told we can do with that. So what were what was kind of going on in your head as you were doing the studies and actually carrying out the research about what the future looked like for you? Yeah, it's interesting because when I reflect back, I think I wasn't really particularly career conscious at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, sure. it's a really sort of useful way of thinking about it I kind of knew about um you know I knew that I had to finish my research had to get my dissertation done and to to get my PhD but I didn't necessarily have a big sense of like what the next step was mm-hmm. or that I was doing it for any other purpose than just getting it done in its own right mm-hmm. um but I obviously gradually became more aware as I got closer to the end that yeah I'm going to need to do something else um you know to keep on going and that's when I really started applying for postdoctoral fellowships to kind of keep, to kind of keep, keep that up. Yeah. Awesome. And then, so when were you kind of realizing that you potentially wanted to, uh, do something else outside of the Academy and not maybe continue doing postdoc or becoming a professor or something like that? That's it. Well, I had, um, I was fortunate enough to get a postdoctoral fellowship and I spent three years doing that, but just during the course of that three years, I was, I had, um, five different interviews at different UK universities for lecturing jobs. And oh, uh-huh. I was unsuccessful in all of them. Having got onto the shortlist and got, got the interview, I wasn't successful in, in landing any of those jobs. And when I really got mm-hmm. to the, eight, the April 
of um, when my funding would finish at the end of September. Mm. Um, I was kind of had six months or, or a bit less to go. And also at that time, my wife and I, we had a young child. And we were sort mm-hmm. of trying to think, you know, what is our what is our future? What does this look like? And I sort of had the, the choice really of maybe many people have been in that situation between a kind of potentially itinerant sort of lifestyle, chasing around on a short-term contra- mm-hmm. contract in academia or hourly paid kind of work, or as I saw it, the option to to leave academia and get something more permanent. And so that's really where I had a like a plan B, as I call it. So I just I decided, mm-hmm. well, if this once this last uh, once I once I've been unsuccessful in this last interview, my my plan B is going to kick in, and I'm because I want to have a job. In fact, I couldn't really afford not to have a job at the end of yeah. that September. So that's when my plan B kicked in, and I was determined. Right, I'm going to get a job outside of academia. So it was very it was very practically driven in that in that sense. Sure. And would you say that did you feel like you came out and had like no resources about what someone does with a PhD? Um, we didn't talk about what maybe what you research, but it sounds like medieval pop culture and and uh, cultural things going on in that point in history. So yeah, like what does a PhD do to apply to jobs? Were you looking around saying, huh, no one's talking about this? Because when I say you're a celebrity, I think of you as kind of one of the leading voices, maybe a grandfather, if you will, we, not around age, but just like in welcoming in this new way of being or a way of showing up as an academic in the world. And so I'm curious, yeah, what was happening? And maybe if you want to say what year it was too, because I think it probably, you know, can be related to like social media and stuff like that as well, right? That's it. I mean, this is back in the day. This is this is in 1999. <laughs> Got like, it. The last and the you last were partying, millennium. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe I am a granddad, but uh, no, it's you know that at uh, that time there was just there were no resources. I mean, it's no. I never even went to the career center. You know, I just mm. had this sense, which I guess I when I look back, I always had a sense of being on my own. Mm. You know, like. I mean, I, I was fortunate to be in a very supportive uh, centre where, where I was at the university in, in, in York. But like in terms of career stuff, like I, I guess you always on your own when it comes to applying for grants and sure. that type of thing. And yeah, I think it was still that sort of career, that research and mentality. It was kind of like, yep. oh, I'm, I'm on my own. There were there were no resources to help. Um, uh-huh. So it was up to me to sort of figure out, OK, how do I, you know, how do I make this transition? And I think the key thing, I think, and this is something I always share with others, is, is it's it's about the transferable skills that being mm-hmm. a researcher gives you. It's not about the content because this is what people always say. Well, how can you get a job with a PhD in medieval yes. studies? And it's it's not it's not the content of your research nope. that is what you're what you're what you're selling, what you're marketing yourself as. It's those transferable skills and what challenges and problems you can solve for for other organisations. And so, I think I was just lucky to to realise that, and I was also mm. I think kind of naive, like mm-hmm. to, enough to believe that. Hey, I'm I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty smart person. I'm going to mm-hmm. be somebody that an organisation is going to want to hire. And I really had that confidence and belief about myself. Um, like I say, with maybe there wasn't things like quit lit and some of this other stuff around. <laughs> yeah, that liked you know sometimes maybe put down in people's minds or maybe with social media. But it was just I was a little bit in my own bubble because I think maybe not very many of my contemporaries were thinking that way. I mean quite a few were quite successful in getting academic jobs or were quite determined, like, oh, I'm going to go into the civil service. I'm going to work in, in government service. Mm-hmm. So they were pretty set on doing that. And I was a little bit in the middle of somebody who was, you know, leaving academia, but not not on an, an obvious career path, like something like going and working in the government would be. Yeah. 
So what is what are some of the first things you did? Did you um, if you could talk about your employment history a little bit, that would be cool. And then um, when like where did jobs and toast come from? Because I think that would be really cool to hear that that part of the story, too. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I guess when I was looking for a ways transition out of academia, I really um, settled on this idea of it's, it's kind of show it does show how long ago it was. But of course, the Internet was starting to take off at this point yeah. and, and web, web-based training and, and e-learning was becoming a reality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. although we still had like dial-up not even not even broadband then and yep. I just kind of put two and two together I mean I was just fascinated by the internet and its sort of potential for well what I thought of as like the democratic dissemination of information mm-hmm. this is how we can get information out without needing to go and study at a university to get it and I kind of put that sort of potential of the internet together um, you know with my background in in education and teaching and really thought yes yeah, e-learning or working for a, a training a company that makes web-based training that's really got to be uh-huh. something that I can apply my skills to and so that's really where I, I searched for jobs and I was fortunate enough to get a job in a, a startup company that was um that was making some of the first e-learning courses oh, cool delivered on the web obviously people have been making things like cds where you could load mm-hmm. the cd into the computer and do some training but this was going to be the, some of the first web-based training so I was very lucky to uh, convince them to take me on um, with not really any any experience of doing this, but they, they didn't have any experience either. Yeah, so, right. No one really did. Um, yeah, <laughs> we we were, we were all sort of taking a leap in the dark. So yeah, that's that's how I got my first job in, in transitioning out of academia into that, which was like I say, a bit of a leap in the dark. But it it gave me my first sort of foot on the ladder, and that was in two thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was kind of quite a long period, I guess, when I was I was outside of academia, but I was really had a had a had some more children, and I was really trying to sort of scrabble a bit to, to build a career um, uh-huh. and, I and I was kind of didn't have very much to do with academia for a number of years until my dissertation supervisor got in contact with me in 2009 and said could I come back up to York and do a talk to the uh, Centre of Medieval Studies where I'd been based to the PhDs there and you know really talk about how to market yourself for a career outside academia. Oh interesting. Um, so that was the first thing that I'd never even thought of it, you know, and uh, but um, that was the prompt. I was invited to go and give that talk. So I put together a little presentation, you know, a little bit like we've been talking about reflecting on mm-hmm. how I got to where I was. And um, yeah, when I gave the talk, I mean, without blowing my own trumpet, it was, you know, it was really made an impact on people in the room. It was going to be like one of the first times that people had heard this kind of thing or had actually seen it modeled in that way, that here was somebody like them, but who could come back and say, yeah, I... I made this transition, and this is how I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I realized after that that this has got to be something I wanted to share. You know, I really felt that I could give back to the PhD and postdoc community with something mm-hmm. really, really valuable. And so it took it took me till 2012. It took me about nearly three years to figure out like blogging and mm-hmm. um, just get the time literally to write some content. And so, but in 2012, I launched uh, my blog, Job, Jobs on Toast you know, just to try and get some of this material out there. So, mm-hmm. and, the, and the rest, is, as they say, is history. Yeah. Something worth studying. <laughs> Someone will do a dissertation on you. Um, I love it. So here's what's cool about this. Like, were you on Twitter between 2009 and, and on? Because I know that's like early stage Twitter too. And I see you have such a presence there. And I feel like that's probably your go-to um, hangout. So where when did Twitter and kind of social media come into play was it also when you started blogging and doing some of that other stuff yeah it was it's funny because when i 
when I look back at my Twitter profile, it says I joined May 2008. You know, oh, there you go. Yeah. Early, early days. It's, it's one of those things where, um, like, sometimes I kind of see the potential of things. And mm-hmm. I think with Twitter, when it first came out, I mean, my kids can't believe it when I say, tell them. But, you know, it used to be a thing where you've got short messages from other people on your yep. on your phone, but there's no pictures. It's just like a text message. Yep. Um, which is which they which they can't believe, but I just saw the potential when I when tw- when I first heard about Twitter, I immediately re- uh, registered myself, my you know my handle, and I could just see the potential of this. But it wasn't mm-hmm. I didn't really start using it. You know, I was sort of listening mode, but I wasn't broadcasting, mm-hmm. and it wasn't really till I got going with the blog in 2012 that I yeah got going with Twitter, and then um, also or I had a LinkedIn profile, but I got going with LinkedIn, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously with um, with Facebook as well. So yeah, yeah as, a, as really as a, as a way to kind of broadcast this stuff and and share it, uh, and you know, and get and build traffic for my site. Yep, yep, cool. So I like I also really like painting a picture for people listening about what it's like in those early stages of of kind of going out on a limb and starting a blog or you know starting a business. Were you going in going this is probably something I'm going to monetize, or were you going in thinking? I have this knowledge to share. I'm excited to just get it out there and blogging makes sense. Where was your head at in that time when you started, you know, Jobs on Toast? It was definitely in the latter because I, mm. I was in, employed and I still am employed full time. So I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't see it as a, as a kind of, you know, starting up a business that would eventually lead to me being an entrepreneur or, mm-hmm. or fully self-employed. Um, but I did, I did have a sense. It wasn't, it wasn't entirely, you know, just giving everything away i had a sense that obviously there's a there's a cost to the software yep. and uh, that type of thing so i had in my mind that this could be a way to um if i could find what one or two affiliate products that could mm-hmm. help to pay for my costs um but yeah i didn't really have a strong sense of it being monetized and i think that's only something that came later as i Got, I never, I never really do any advertising, but as I got mm-hmm. more well known, I got I started to get more approached about giving talks. Sure, and I think through the through the blog, people, especially people like your careers advisors or officers in uh, universities, started to approach me and ask me, you know, invite me to come and give talks in their institutions. So there's a way in which it kind of was more more accidental, and mm-hmm. um, I'm, I think I'm also conscious that I think it's is a challenge with the, the particular type of audience, you know, of PhDs to to monetize because they're not necessarily people who have got, have got a lot of money to be frank sure to be honest you know and so um but I've, I've i have got one or two just affiliate products that i that i have on my site that when people buy the when you know from reviews when people buy those that does give me a little bit of income which helps to pay for my uh, software hosting costs and antivirus and that type of thing nice do you do you have other income streams as well that's coming through jobs and toast or is it is it just those two affiliate products um yes i've got the affiliate i've got the affiliate stuff i've got the um like i say obviously i get i get commissions to go and give talks in universities yeah so so it's acting really like a kind of brochure in that way sure um i also a couple of years back started to do um one-to-ones because people started approaching Mm. me and saying can Mm -hmm. you coach me um, and it's that's not something I'd originally thought about, but um, it was obvious to me that yeah, I have got this expertise and I can share it. Um, but I didn't really want—I'm not a trained coach, you know, by yeah. background. And so what I do is more—I think it's more like mentoring, yeah. more trying to support people with, rather than I think, as I understand, with coaching, it can be quite open-ended and uh, um, open-ended questions and getting people to think for themselves. I have more, 
it's, mine's much more directive. So it's really looking at people's CVs, for instance, mm-hmm. from the eye through the eyes of myself as a, you know, I'm a, rec- I'm a recruiter myself. I, you know, I recruit I recruit staff into my team. Oh, so really looking at yeah. looking at um, in my day job, you know. So it's looking at people's CVs and really saying, you know, this is how you need to improve it, and this is how you how it, what sort of language you need to use for jobs outside of academia. So yeah, I started to do those sort of one to ones, and you know, I charge a commercial rate that work because I don't mm-hmm. want to undercut t- and take away from other people who you know it's it's their living so um th- there's also that but it's all it's all sort of low-key and like I say it's as it's as much as I can manage with a day job and for sure um, you know fa- and, fa- and balancing up with family life as well do you have a vision of where it might be headed or like what you're wanting to do with the brand and and you know kind of your presence, I guess, like who you are and like what you can help people with? Is there something bigger or is this kind of enough and the the processes and systems you have in place are enough to like you know help you produce the content and help people yeah i think where i'm at now is i want to do something bigger mm-hmm. um, more but it's it's not it's trying to widen out i mean i guess if i stand back and reflect on what jobs on toast is mm-hmm. it's it's about career progression it's helping it's helping mm-hmm. individuals you may not see it like that but it's how does that person progress in their career when especially from a PhD is something that has a finite end. Yep. So that, you know, somebody's opted to spend three or four years or, or six years, depending on which system you're in doing something that they're grant funded. Fantastic. But that has a natural consequence, a natural end, a natural yep. cuts off. Yep. How does that person progress their career? And there's obviously the, de- the default can be to look, look for an academic, mm-hmm. academic career, but there's obviously other options. So to me, it's about career progression. And so what I'm interested in doing is the next step is like, how do we, how do we help a wider group of people yeah. beyond the academy? You know, there are so many people out there who are working in jobs. Maybe it's their first job, or maybe they're kind of uh, like myself in the sort of mid part of their career. But they they know there's something more that they can do. They know they're more mm. capable, but they're feeling mm-hmm. stuck, or they're feeling they want to move towards maybe more values based work. They're not mm-hmm. so happy with the sort of work they're doing in their company. You know, they're they're they've got more of a calling. So. That's really what I'm interested in exploring next. How do you help people progress their career, but not just from the kind of relatively narrow and once sure. you've been around it, the you know the narrow confines of academia, but 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 in, com- in other companies and organisations. So that's really my next um, my next project and something that I want to sort of springboard off the back from jobs on toast and everything I've learned there um, into a into a like a kind of a, you know a career progression portal or or sort of self help uh, space. I love it. Well, that sounds really awesome. What are your What are you thinking? Your next steps are for that. Well, I've got the um, I've got the domain, and uh, I've got the website and everything. There you the, go. The challenge I've got is is just the time to build Tiny. up a kind mm-hmm. of um, just a minimum like a minimum viable product. So it's yep. What do I need to do to launch it? And I think that's really what I'm working on at the moment, trying to put together some posts and the sort of look and feel and the branding how that would go but i think one thing i really learned from jobs on toast is is um is to, to get stuff out there without making it perfect so when i first started with jobs on toast i didn't have a i didn't have a lot of a clue around about things like graphics or pictures mm-hmm. but then you kind of get a sense of well i can't go live with this stuff because it's not got good pictures like other people have but if you keep holding yourself to those standards you're never going to get out there so mm. I, my site is pretty text text heavy but partly just reflecting my expertise but now i have now i have got um things like um you know i've got some got some good shots done on myself 
um, you know, to illustrate the site. So it's, it's trying to not let, you know, an aspiration to be the best to stop you just getting something out there. So I think that's really where I'm at at the moment, um, trying to get something together, but get something launched and then really build build it using the feedback I get from people. Yes, definitely. Oh, yes, that is my that is how I that's my MO in this space as well. Right. And I think I think as educators, we realize that that's actually the only way to do it. Right? Like, yeah. our first time teaching, I, I don't know if you were a TA at all, or or you, you know, taught a lot during your postdoc. But yeah, did yeah. yeah, I mean, I could download other people's syllabi and like, you know, use some sample activities and lectures and stuff like that. But there wasn't, you know, it was me and my students hanging out, you know, for a certain length of time. So, um, yeah, man, sometimes I totally sucked, but uh, every semester I got better, right? And so I think I think that's really great advice to even be um, sharing with the audience too, just because I think as people listen going like, oh, I have this idea, but um, I think the academic in us really goes to research and then we see people doing it better and then we want to do it like that because we have this kind of achievement part built into us. Like, I think that's what some of the system has done to us. So then we're like, oh, okay, I can do that. But now they're not launching anything, right? And now it's just taking up more and more time. Um, And the faster you get something out there, the faster you get feedback and can do something different or make that tweak to, you know, make more sales or, um, you know, help people move through the product faster, those kind of things. That's that's exactly it. And um, I mean, it's, it's very similar to how I work at work because as a, as a project manager, we use, mm. there's, there are obviously different project management uh, methodologies, but we use it uh, like an agile approach, which is For sure. really just agile. About, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, putting something together and putting that in front of the, uh, the the customer rather than spending a long time doing design and all that type of thing. So just really iterative. And I think that's, that to me is, is one thing I've really, yeah, I've, I just try to always do is just you know, you can keep on refining and revising your blog post, trying to get them better. Um, and sometimes I've put things out there and people have come back and given me some feedback like that's, you know, because that's a bit harsh, you know, because obviously sometimes people are quite sensitive to their, situ- sure. their situations, you know, And but but it's a little bit of a learning what, you know, what is the right tone um, mm, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to, to, to take because when people are very invested in something like academia, you know, yeah. to say to go and do something different, it seems like, oh, am I just just throwing away all that investment or what will other people think and so mm-hmm. there's all there's, there's a lot of bit of also getting getting learning some of those things a bit by trial and error yeah. but it's you but you only you only get better by doing something and then listening and learning from what your customers say mm-hmm. and then then sometimes you have to pick yourself up a little bit but you 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 know you'll just know to make it um make it better next time so that's a little bit of my yeah i think i guess what i've learned about that type of thing and which i do want to apply for my next my next project around um, around career progression. Yeah. Do you feel... I love that we're also talking about... I mean, I guess it's not really a pivot. Uh, people use that language a lot too, but like you're expanding, right? You're um, creating a new product line that might be serving somewhat of a different audience, a little bit more broad of an audience. Um, do you have the feeling like you're starting over or does it feel like you... Um, are pretty set up to do pretty well, and that you're not at the beginning as much as you um, think with this new this new offer. Yeah, it's interesting because I definitely feel like I'm at the beginning of mm-hmm. it, but then I also think, wow, I know so much more than I did ten years ago. Sure, <laughs> like, sure. Like I, I literally had had no clue, but now I mean, I kind of you know, obviously things take 
things can be done a lot quicker because I understand, you know, like how to set up a website, how does WordPress work, mm-hmm. how do you put together a like, um, you know, social media posts and all those things that I've had to learn. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel it's it's much quicker. But it's it's also exciting because I think with Jobs mm-hmm. on Toast, it was, um, you know, it's it was an experiment at the beginning and it, and it, and it still is a, an ongoing kind of like I'm always learning as, sure. as I go along from what I'm doing. But it, it, it does feel like a kind of, Okay, so you can, I mean, from my point of view, I'm always thinking about impact. What what impact yeah. can I make? What difference can I make? And with Jobs on Toast, I can make a certain amount of impact. I have maybe between 100 to 250 visitors a day, you know, so that's mm-hmm. fantastic. I'm reaching that number of people a day and hopefully giving them some sort of boost or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, guidance. But then my challenge is, so how can you, so how can I do 10 times that? You know, how can I reach mm-hmm. a thousand people a day? So that, that that's a little bit dependent on the topic you know because there's there's just a limit to how many phds there are for instance sure um, but think of how many sure. people there are how many millions of people in the world who are you know in the in the course of their career they just want to make some kind of you know they want to make some kind of move either up or sideways mm. or more values based as you know that, that's exciting to me to reach a, a larger audience and make make a greater impact and make a greater difference yeah oh definitely and you know i think that helps me at least show up in my business too in a different way as well. Like, because I think sometimes it can feel like, oh, I'm putting content out there and I'm building this thing. Is anyone listening? <laughs> or or um, am I helping anyone? And then when you kind of gain that traction, um, yeah, the work can be a little... It, um, it's not monotonous, but you kind of keep... You, you now are running this kind of machine, right? So I'm sure whatever processes you created to make jobs on toast happen regularly and consistently, like at some point, you might find yourself saying the same things over again or, you know, and, and uh, tackling similar problems. And so having like a big why, like a reason behind what you're doing it is, is actually what can help you show up every day, which... I, I think it's funny because, yeah, I came more from the classroom space and I didn't leave you know, academia because I was, I hated it in any way, shape or form. I mean, there were parts of it I didn't enjoy, but like the core of what I did, like, you know, 80% of my work time, um, I enjoyed it. Right. And it was with my students. And, um, and so I, you know, having a job that maybe feels like you're not sure what the impact is in, in an immediate way, which I can get in a classroom, that's been a learning experience for me in creating, um, you know, in creating an online presence, a brand, and a company that let me leave academia. So I don't know if you have similar feelings, and it and it's interesting because you do have a full time job right now. So this is your side thing, but you know, it's enough for you to keep doing it for six years. Yeah, true. Yeah, I just uh, I never I never get bored of it. I mean, I never <laughs> I never good. run out of any creativity. You know, I yeah I've got. I've got many, many hundreds more ideas than I can ever, oh, so ever true. publish or or tweet about or mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. talk speak about. I mean, it's you know, so the it's such, it's such a rich topic. And one thing I do like is that when I encounter different different types of material, um, maybe that are more in the more general career space, I can kind of also think, well, how does that map across to the to the PhD area? Yep. Um, you know, there's yep. a recent review I did of that book, Designing Your Life, you know, really looking at mm. um, looking at careers from a kind of product development point of view and like try, trying things, see what works, you know, and, I love and, that. and that just so fits with a kind of um, early part of a PhD transition out of academia. So 
yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel that it's, it's a very, it's very creative, and I think it's, it's good because I think certainly in, um, in my day job as a project manager, there's not necessarily always a lot of room for creativity in a sense that a mm, lot of it is kind mm-hmm. of, um, it's not mechanistic, but you're, you're planning, you're planning to do things, and then you're yeah. overseeing that they're done, and then you're getting confirmation <laughs> that they're done, and it's kind of, I mean, it, that's that has a certain reward in its own right, sure. in a sense of making progression and also contributing to, to the development of the organization that I work for. Um, but I think there's a side to which there, there's a little bit less on the, on the creative side. So mm, in terms mm-hmm. of my own sort of um, uh, interests and well-being, I, I like the kind of creativity that comes with uh, having my own blog and just write, writing about stuff. Having but, your own thing. Yeah, having my own thing. Yeah. But, um, and, it, and it not being necessarily kind of, and there's no disrespect to people who do, but like some blogs can be kind of quite whimsical and is kind of sure. people re- reflecting on things that they've done or watched on TV or whatever. But I like I like the, sure. the purposeful nature of it and the fact that it's mm. that people are getting value. And I really, you know, it just is so heartwarming when I get feedback of people email me or contact me on LinkedIn yeah. or Twitter and just say, Chris, you know, that's you know, that's just really spoken to my heart, or that's mm-hmm. you know, just you've just given me a whole new way of looking at something. I was in in such doldrums or despair you know you've really given me hope and i just think that's brilliant yeah. you know that's that's amazing and um that's that's what we should all be aspiring to as um as citizens yep. you know to serve to serve other people and you, you know yeah, we can serve in different ways and some people serve mm-hmm. you know through in a business way through being an entrepreneur and creating products and services that people want to buy and that's a kind of service in its own right yep. like i say it's also if you've got a this is like a i guess it's like kind of like a hobby but it's also more than that, really. I think it's uh, mm-hmm. um, it is it is vocation, not a vocation, but it's there's a sense in which when I look back, I set out mm-hmm. to change something, you know, about these people who are coming off the end of a of a PhD and what did they do next, um, you know, and I wanted to really have that. I had that idea that I could change change that um, maybe for some individuals, but I think that's what's really sort of heartening now when I look back at where we are with all the different yeah. people in this space like yourself cheeky scientists yep. and the beyond prof folks you know there's lots of people doing some such great work and, and and we are changing perceptions and I saw something in the paper the other day where it was in the newspaper where it was talking about PhDs and them being like multi-skilled yep. uh, people and this kind of thing and I thought hey just you know I'm not I'm not personally taking the credit for it all myself but I'm just saying that in ten years, we there we have made a difference yep. to to the way in which PhDs are talked about, regarded, how PhDs see themselves, mm-hmm. what people think they're capable of, and that to me is, um, you know, that's be, that's getting beyond just how many hits you yep. get on your blog or views or or a little bit about income. You know, there's actually we made it we made a difference yep. to uh, to something that's much bigger, and I think that's that to me is, um, you know, I think that's that's just fantastic. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I hear your cultural and social change coming out too. the sociologist in me as well loves looking at that kind of thing, right? Like, I, you know, I and I've only had this podcast since January, but I kind of look at this and I'm like, you know, we are the vehicles for having these conversations because we lived it, right? So, you know, taking credit for it, it's like, you're actually just, you're the evidence of this like larger really this larger movement happening in the labor market, right? Like the way the economy is structured. And so, um, you know, everything you've done up until this point puts you in the perfect place to help someone move through that transition. And so I often feel almost like 
an obligation or responsibility to share stories of people because it's like, you know, what would that have done? Um, you know, I, I experienced what I experienced. So then I can go back and show people, um, maybe they were struggling. Maybe they were having doubts. I think the kind of work that you do where you're helping a PhD feel more confident going into the world at a, at a, maybe a tough time where you're, you know, helping with self-esteem and confidence. I mean, work, like what people do for work is such a huge part of our identity. So if you can make that transition, right, easier, you know, more, more stable, um, you know, less doubt and worry, which there's so much of now in the world, it's like, oh, yeah, we're doing like real work here, just by showing up as ourselves and saying, this is how I did it, or um, this is what I've learned from my journey. Um, and, And that's, in many cases, enough to help really shift a generation, an o- not an overeducated generation, but a generation where a lot of people went further in their degrees than there were jobs um, to be an academic, right? And so what uh-huh. are we going to do with that? We're, you know, um, And instead of making them feel bad about themselves <laughs> um, or like they failed or they didn't get the job that they thought they were going to get, how about reframing that? Like what a gift we are to the workforce or to, you know, starting a business, like what we can do with our skills. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's that, it's that, it's that reframe, isn't it? How do you, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you, how do you reframe that? Yeah. Cause it, it does, you know, it's trying to shift that debate away from like, I do, I do get frustrated when I see debates online about oversupply of PhDs yep. and yep. we need to cut back on, on PhD programs and this type of thing, because it's, you know, PhD is a, is an end in itself, and that's how yeah. I see it. You know, it's 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 an opportunity to spend a number of years doing something that you're, you're fascinated in, you're, mm-hmm. and you love, and you and you and you produce something that is of material benefit to yep. uh, your discipline and to society. So yep. we should yep. we should never we should never do that we should never do that process down. No, um, because we learn so much from doing it. But on the yep. on the other hand, we've got to recognise that. It is well, like well, I call it a fixed term job. I mean, using a little bit of terminology from the labour market, but a PhD is a fixed term job. You, yeah, it, it, it's it's the way that you can get hired. At, you know, you're getting hired for a certain number of years. It's true. And there is no, there is nothing after it. So that's the challenge. What do you do? What do you do after? So it's not really about supply and demand. It's just helping people. Um, how do you how do you manage after you finish yep. that piece of work? And then you're you're moving on to the next thing whatever that is and so that could be an academic job if it's yep. if it's continuity it could be like working as an administrator it could be mm-hmm. going into a lab in, in pharmaceutical or something like that but it's it's really helping people sort of see that you know and make that transition i think coming back to something you were saying Lindsay, about a really like what you're saying about our like almost responsibility to tell our mm-hmm. story and um, mm-hmm. there's a there's a little model when i used to work as a a, a transport consultant we trying to encourage people to adopt more sustainable modes of travel you know like you know to walk cycle mm. use public transport rather than drive and we always had it like we used to use this little model of uh, the four e's as we call it like uh in, engage enable encourage um and exemplify mm. if you have those four headings and you think how much i'm trying to get someone to change their behavior and i need to i need to give them resources in all those areas and so to me what we're doing with these telling our stories or, you know, where you interview people or, um, you know, like Jen, like Jen's done uh, on From PhD to Life where she's had interviews 
um, with people, you know, we're, we're, we're exemplifying what does it look mm-hmm. like to make a transition. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're giving we're, we're giving people that sort of that role model, that roadmap. Yeah, we're saying it's possible. Um, we're giving them ideas about things that they never even thought of. You know, what yep. you mean? You mean I can just abandon all the content and just go to transferable <laughs> skills? Yes, you can. Yeah. Um, you know, so so that that exemplification of a mm-hmm. of, of a route, I just think is so is so so sort of powerful and and, and important. And that's one another brilliant thing about the internet that it obviously makes all yep. that stuff instantly available and shareable. Shareable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, I, it is really cool to and you you know being having done this for a while, and then me even realizing that I wasn't the only person. I think that. Um, because yeah, this space didn't, it wasn't on my radar whatsoever. I was an academic who was on Twitter, but I was, yeah, following sociologists and following, you know, different social groups and that kind of thing. But then, um, I, you know, I, I, like I said on the show, I accidentally started a business with no intention of doing that. And then I'm recognizing that I wasn't in recognizing that I wasn't alone when I would go to these events and meet other people that had advanced degrees. And we kind of just would look at each other like, did you think you were going to be here? And they would most likely be like, no. And so then when I started to put that together, it was like, oh, if I felt like I was the only one, there's probably a ton of people who feel like that too. And that's where this like building of community. Um, and I think when you know a doctor, a doctoral student is studying and has their head down in the books and is really actually, like you said, because it's a very like terminal position, really a fixed position, you don't know what's going to happen next. And there's a lot of anxiety and fear around that. So like, whatever we can do to say that there are other options, like I have listeners who have no intention of starting a business and still listen to this podcast, at least not right now. They're like, I don't really know what it's going to be. But I just love knowing you exist. And I was like, okay, (laughs) that's enough too, right? Like, it's not just about business advice or, or anything like that. It's more just like, yeah, we're basically reflecting back like there's other ways of being and it's not maybe what you thought and and that that's okay like you kind of are highlighting the skills are valuable and the degree is valuable i i also um my stomach turns because a lot in this entrepreneur space they talk a lot of crap about college (laughs) and i know i've talked about this before too and then when it gets to like why would you ever dedicate that much time when you know you can make because it's all about making money in, in that like in their final um you know end game right and so i yeah. think that's where a lot of this conversation comes from too like oh well we should cut back on phd's because there's not work for them and it's like well no there's work for them um mm-hmm. and you're saying it just is going to be about more about the skills that they've learned and why wouldn't they want to hire someone who has that discipline and organization and research skills but I think it's it's funny to like because it's not it's not just about the end game of the money and like what job you end up with that's not why people do the doctorate like and I think when we start to change that and because when people are from the outside right looking in and saying like oh well that's silly why would you do that and and like you're not you're not a sociologist like in your and it's like no but you realize the skills that it gave me and so it's almost like it feels like my responsibility too to educate people on what academics can do. Like that's the other yeah. side of this too, because the the mainstream culture thinks you know has these um, has these ideas about what we're capable of or what we you know did this for. So there's a lot of like 
lost in translation about the responsibility, I guess, of of PhDs like out in society and not outside or not in the institution. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because um, the example I always use is what about um, the army, for instance, and, and veterans? You know, ah, people, yeah. people serve in the army. Um, maybe you're trained as a, I don't know, as a machine gunner or something mm-hmm. like that or driving a tank, you know, and then at some point you've you've completed your service and then you come yep. out into civilian life. You, you don't carry on being a, a tank driver. Into no. Of tank driving and no one would life. expect it's, that. Yeah. It, 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 and oh, no one would look at you and say, well, hey, hey, so you spent all those years learning to drive a tank and now you're not driving a tank. No, because those, but the interesting thing about the military is that they have very dedicated programs yes. of, of investment and sort of um, retraining, yeah. reskilling, ad- adapting to, to civilian life. Because they because they know that it's not an easy process, um, so that's the example I always use. So this is the thing I think there's just there are such and it, we, we mustn't blame people, but people just have stereotypes yeah. and expectations. You know, when people when when I say oh, I've got a PhD and they say, well, why aren't you why aren't you teaching at Oxford or Cambridge? Mm-hmm. You know, they just they just think they have a stereotype of you know if you've got this, you must be a, a, a smart person who must gravitate to the most prestigious institutions in the land or something, and it's. But then why would we expect them to have the knowledge of like, you know, that's just the tip of a whole pyramid of uh, institutions, plus let alone all the researchers and and everybody that's also the late mapped out there. So, uh, yeah, I think it sometimes can help to sort of reframe it, um, you know, and look for other examples of people making career changes. And I mean, that's something even I found since I've worked in business that, um, you know, people are making career changes all the time. Yeah, um, even know, more just, now, probably. Yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's it. And I think that's something that comes back to the career progression that I was talking about, that mm-hmm. you know, the, de- the days of like working for a company for 40 years, working yeah. your way up the ladder and all this type of stuff. Um, not that that was necessarily you know a path for, ev- for everybody in the old days, but there's a kind of stereotype of that. But I think organizations now are much flatter. There's much yep. less room for kind of you know managerial runs and that type of thing. You know, and so if you do want to progress your career, you you have got to think about um, where you're going to go. You know, you're going to stay in the same industry, or you, you're going to hop into a different industry. Um, you know, and I see all kinds of people making you know transitions in and out. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's much more sort of flexible. Yeah, labour market, like you were saying, and that's something that PhDs are just an example of that. They're not mm-hmm, unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm even seeing it. I don't know when I think about other folks who have. Not the, you know, the exact same training, right? So we were doing research, whether in a lab or, you know, hitting the books. Um, But you can look at like lawyers, for example, and therapists and people who, um, you know, served in that way and used their, they went further in their education to help, you know, society in that way. And they're even making a bit of an exit too. And they're choosing to start businesses or, um, you know, do something else uh, outside of what they maybe got their degree for. And so mm-hmm. I, what I, I think it's kind of related, it's this, there is this little bit of a woke up, like, how did I get here? And there's a lot more options now um, for, you know, kind of blazing your own path, I guess, in a way. And so um, academics aren't the only folks that are leaving, you know, years of education, um, not behind, as you would say, but like taking that with you and leaving maybe what the the, the typical path um, would be. So I'm, I'm at least noticing that a little bit in some of my interviews as well, of course, with starting businesses. And um, because it's so easy to kind of 
get a, a blog up, whether it replaces your income is a, is a whole other kind of scenario, but it is easy to get started and play um, with very little overhead. So I think that's impacting some of these professional, you know, level careers. Yeah, well, we, 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 there was a story in the uh, in the media here about um, you know medical doctors leaving medicine. Yep, um, yep. In, in the UK, and um, you know, people deciding comes back to exactly what you're saying that you you know, okay, you are a very highly educated person. You've invested a lot of years in in your own <laughs> training, but then you're also a very capable person and capable exactly. of doing other things. And if, yeah. if your line of work isn't giving you the satisfaction that you thought mm-hmm. maybe when you were an 18 year old, you know, say 10 years later, um, and you and you want to do other things, then you're perfectly capable of it. And yeah, there's even, um, I mean, there's even coaches now who came across the other day where you know, they actually get dedicated coaches to help uh, medical professionals leave medicine yeah. to do other things. Yep. And yep. Um, yeah, one of, one of the, one of the key points is like, how do you tell your parents? Yeah, uh, right. you, know, how do you break the news that you're not living yeah. up to your parents' ideals. Yeah. <laughs> this is yep. the number one thing when you've got to call your mom or, or something and say, mm-hmm. you know, Guess what? I'm I'm quitting quitting medicine. I mean, it's just you know. So we think about the weight of expectations on our, on yeah. ourselves as as um you know non say like non medical doctors, but even even with that and the sort of prestige and kudos and sort of mm-hmm. social situation that goes along with being a medical doctor, but pe- people are leaving that profession. I think I mean to me, it's yep. it's really exciting and powerful. This yep. sense of self determination that is it's not it's not like kind of. Oh, I've got I've got to do this job because I've got to pay the rent. Style, mm, um, mm-hmm. you know. Actually, when you know we are we are empowered by our education and by the opportunities that exist in the world, um, you know. And it's and it and it's just fantastic that people can feel confident enough to take those um, and make a success of it. Whether that is like we've talked about moving to another type of employment or mm-hmm. um, setting up their own business and becoming an entrepreneur. Um, you know that's that's just a course that's open to people now, or or, or doing yeah. a mix of both, or switching mm-hmm. switching between. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's really kind of mixing up and confusing some of those sort of stereotypes and kind of um, roles that people are used to seeing. And I think that's some of the that explains a little bit some of the feedback that we might get from family or friends yep. um, about about some of what we what we're doing. But I think yeah, what is happening in the in the, in the PhD realm in the, in the academic realm is just. Is sort of symptomatic of what's happening in wider society. Too. Large, yep, yeah, I I totally agree. I I remember thinking when I was going to tell my faculty, like my colleagues and um, you know, people I cared about at the institution I was hired by, and they were expecting me to get tenure the next year, and I was so nervous about what they thought were going to think, what they were going to say, um, how they would react, and everyone was just like. Oh, you dig it. You did it. You figured it out. Like, take me with you. <laughs> like a lot more yeah, people were that, saying that than I would was expecting. Um, and funny. so I think that's even evidence as well. That's it. Because I, that's exactly the reaction I got of when I first started mm-hmm. to tell people and people said, uh, well, I wish I had a something a, a transferable or marketable skill so I could get out. Interesting. Which is the opposite to yeah. what I thought people would, would say. Although I did have one or two sort of reactions where people were kind of all... You know, imagining that even when I got a job outside, my first job outside academia, well, that was just a holding job till I could get back in mm. type of thing. And oh, interesting. Actually, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of, oh, well, something will, you know, something will come up, something will work out. And it's kind of like, no, this is this is what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not biding my time. But sometimes, you know, I think sometimes people are also making themselves feel better. You know, and I think there's a little yeah. bit of that in the way that we, people um, talk to us or the sort of opinions that they that they give um you know they're actually they're trying to 
make themselves feel better. Maybe they wish about they their own choices. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. You know, but for sure. So there's a, there's a little bit of that going on. Yeah. Well. I, I've loved this conversation. This has been really fun. And um, I would love to hear maybe your advice for someone who's exiting. I, since we have you on, I think it would be really great to hear um, kind of some advice about someone who's maybe entering into the job market or finishing up their dissertation and is maybe considering some of their options and writing a couple plans, plan A, B, and C. Uh, what, would your, what would your advice be to them um, as they're sitting there making those decisions right now? Yeah, I think that that approach of having um, more than one plan, I think, is the absolute key. So don't put all your mm. eggs in one basket with the, with an academic plan um, because it may not work out. Like like I talked about in my own situation, so have a plan B, but have a have a serious plan B and start it start it mm. early. Um, I think that's one thing. Reflecting, I mean, I only started probably something like six to nine months before I was going to finish. But you know, start start realistic that's not bad. in a realistic amount of time, a year, eighteen months ahead really building on some of these things. So like, for instance, trying to obtain work experience outside of mm-hmm. academia. So could you do an internship or work for work for a couple of weeks in an organizational company um, that, you, you know, that you would aspire to work in? So can you get work experience? Can you build up a network of contacts uh, outside of academia as well? Um, so, you know, Smart. approaching people on LinkedIn, for instance, and get to know people so that you're, you're, um, you're gradually building up those sorts of resources that you'll need when you actually come start applying on the job market. And I think that is the worst, um, you know, and that's where people are the most desperate when they've had their head down and so focused yeah, on their dissertation, yeah. you know, they're mm-hmm. handing it in and then it's what next, but it's, it's understanding that transition, you know, it takes time to build and you can't just, um, unless you're very lucky, you know, just, just go straight off the back of the dissertation into yeah. that non-academic job, you know, you've it's got tough. to put in the groundwork. Yeah, so that's really where I, what I would advise people to do, and that's what I've tried to lay out on Jobs on Toast. Really, is a kind of is a number of steps. So, trying to get some work experience, thinking about your transferable skills, um, you know, building up your network, developing your application materials um, so that they're tailored to mm. the language and the way people speak about careers outside of academia. Um, yeah, and then really having a convincing um, pitch for when you go for an interview. And yep. not feeling that you've got to answer the question of like, um, you know, I've I've failed in my academic mm, course. Now I'm doing something mm-hmm, else. But actually, mm-hmm. the sort of tip I give people is to really talk about having achieved one thing that you've set out to do in your life. Yep. You challenge yourself to complete a piece of research. You've done that. You've delivered it. And now you're setting out in your next challenge in your in your uh, in your career, which is to apply some of the transferable skills and things to this next job role or problem or whatever it is setting up your own business and and truly really communicate that sort of sense of positivity like we were saying that you're there's a continuity there rather than a than a break that you're trying to mm. uh, sort of re- recover from yeah that's a huge reframe and even just just there's such empower it's coming from a place of empowerment versus de- like being defeated by academia or or whatever even if you may be thinking that you don't have to show up like that for your interview because your your skills are really valuable and the things that we've done um you know in our studies is is so important and um to just be able to speak about it in the language that someone who's hiring that's all it is um it's nothing bigger than that except our own like ego talking or our own um yeah identity that's tied to it which is definitely something that i've been talking a lot about on the show but yeah thank you for that that's great yeah. awesome well 
Chris. Uh, where can people find you? Obviously, we have jobs on Toast and I saw you on Instagram as well. I linked to you in a Instagram story for this recording. Uh, but yeah, where are you hanging out on online right now if someone wants to connect with you? Yeah, so um, jobsontoast.com is the blog. Uh, and that's where I publish my main content. But I'm also very active on Twitter. Um, so I've got, there is a hashtag jobs on toast, right? jobs on toast, but I've also yes. at Chris Humphrey as well. Um, mm. So quite recently, I've just split off. I've started tweeting now from uh-huh. jobs on toast handle, um, uh-huh. separating out the, the Chris Humphrey part because the personal um, brand, you know, like I say, <laughs> I've got, I've got this other, yeah, I've got this other project. Um, mm-hmm. And so I want to just make a little bit of a separation in terms of the audience. Cause I think the of audiences course. don't quite yeah. overlap. So um, I'm, I'm there. Also, you can find me on Facebook. Again, um, I've got a Facebook page, Jobs on Toast there. And um, yeah, Jobs on Toast on Instagram. I'm just making the first sort of forays uh, into Instagram, learning a bit from my kids about, about that as a, They're a, training as a space you. and how it works. But <laughs> that, that's it. Yeah. And so, uh, and also, I think on LinkedIn as well. And um, oh, cool. on LinkedIn, I'm uh, uh, Dr. Chris Humphrey there. But I think LinkedIn is just really becoming. A, a bigger and bigger and bigger resource mm, really mm-hmm. for uh, for job seekers and to have to have the right profile on LinkedIn yep. um, it's something often people from an academic um, background don't necessarily think of because maybe they're nope. on academia.edu or somewhere but to have the right profile on LinkedIn not just to have PhD researcher or something but right. to actually have the the job role or title that you're going for I mean I was uh, I was I was working with a client the other day and um, got you know rather than PhD researcher, put financial analyst, because that's the sort of role that they were going for. You know, so, so give yourself the right title on, mm-hmm. on, on, on LinkedIn. For the job you want. Um, mm-hmm. so, exactly. So that's also another place where um, where I'm quite active. And um, I, I think that that is just an absolute key place where recruiters are going to look for you when they, look, when they get your CV, when they get their application. People, um, one of the first oh, things yeah. they're going to do now is look you up. Yep. So that's another bit of advice, really, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Do you do? Do you have a training or a course on that on LinkedIn? How to use it? I don't actually. No, maybe, maybe you should create one. Maybe that's maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's an idea. Uh, I'm uh, going to make him create one. <laughs> right, just a small little free training. I'll make you. I'll I'll help you monetize, Chris. I got you. Um, no, um, this has been awesome, and I'm excited for people to find you and learn about you and what you're up to. And thank you so much. And I really look forward to where you're taking this. And I think our conf- our conversation is evidence about how important uh, career progression is for everybody, um, and not just academics. So yeah, I'm excited for you, and definitely keep us posted. Well, thanks very much, Lindsay, for having me on. Yeah, we'll have a great evening as well over there in the UK. And I will definitely have you on again. We'll have to do a Where Is He Now episode as as well and see how that program goes. Yeah, fantastic. I look forward to that. Awesome. 